What do you do when you don't know something? When you're trying to find out, maybe you're at a, a party, you're, you're at a dinner, and somebody asks a question, and you think, well, I don't know the answer to that. What's your first inclination these days? Google it. That's right. It's amazing how we just, that's our first instinct now, and I'll confess that's mine as well. If I, if I don't know something, I'll just, you know, get out my phone and maybe under the table Google it real quick and go, oh yeah, yeah, such and such did this back then and, you know, try to look smart. Everybody is doing that these days. And, and there are whole websites that are developed, uh, I mean, there are whole pages uh, that are uh, within WikiHelp and WikiHow. I mean, if you want to fix your toilet at home, I don't recommend doing it by yourself, uh, given the one that I worked on. Um, if you want to uh, be able to fix your car, or if you want to know how to bake a cake or do different things, you just simply Google it, and you can look, and there will be some steps on there, and it's open source, so there are people sharing ideas and different things about how to do it. And so it seems like you really could get any amount of information that you want about anything that you would like to do. But in these difficult times that we find ourselves in today, we can't just Google answers, can we? We have all kinds of difficulties and challenges and problems. If you looked at the uh, newspaper, I mean, just, you know, here recently on the front page of every major paper, it's doom and it's gloom. It's about uncertainty in the economy and uncertainty in our political environment, uh, uncertainty in our jobs. It's a crazy time. And it affects each and every one of us. When I thought about this sermon and praying through difficult times, that, I mean, that hits everybody. You may be going through a difficult time right now. Chances are you are. Or you just came out of one. Or, you know, tomorrow could hold one as well. And so we wonder, what, what do we do? Uh, Daniel Gilbert, a uh, psychology professor at, at Harvard, uh, I found this uh, article in Christianity Today. He drew from the Gallup Healthways Wellbeing Index. And he, he stated that the index showed that Americans are smiling less and worrying more than they were a year ago. Now, y'all go ahead and smile to dispel that. Okay, good smiles in here. Uh, that happiness is down and sadness is up. That we are getting less sleep and we are smoking more cigarettes. That depression is on the rise. Would you say that's true? You look around and you see that's true. Uh, he stated that the real problem is not financial. It's not having enough money. But something else. The biggest problem is uncertainty. People don't know what's going to happen. Will I have a job next week? What's ahead in the future for me? And... Uh, this is something that has been noted. This was done, I think, a year and a half ago. So we can surmise that it is even uh, actually worse than that right now. And you know about this. Uh, either you feel that way or other people do. What do we do if we can't just Google a simple uh, solution to our problems? Well, there's an older source for us to look at. And we find that, and we heard that in Psalm 25. You helped read these ancient words of a king, King David who was living in some very difficult times. I mean, David had a lot going for him. And he also at times uh, made some really big problems for himself. I mean, there were others who made problems for him, but David got himself in all kinds of, of challenging situations. And so he knew, what, he knew about difficult times. And we find a beautiful psalm here about what he is doing and the, and the kinds of things that are happening in his life 
during difficult times. Now, I think they are helpful for us today. I want to tell you, they're, they're helpful for me. I, I have been blessed in reading this this week and thinking about it. It has, it has lifted me and encouraged me. And I, I pray that it's the same thing for you. So as we look at this, it really, this psalm breaks down into uh, two or three different areas. And um, as we look at this, it really begins, the first thing he talks about is lifting his soul. And that's what I would say to you. To pray through, and by the way, it's not just in difficult times or around difficult times. You've got to go through them, don't you? you? You can't go under them, you can't go over them. You've you got to go through them. God never promised you take away all our difficulties away. He, he said that I'll be with you. When the, when the flames come, when the waters come, all of that, I will be with you. And so we recognize uh, that that is a reality. But in the midst of that, uh, you can lift up your soul. That's what David does. If you look back here at this uh, on, the, on the very first verse, he says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. He's not talking about his kingdom. He could say, well, to the kingdom I'm going to lift up my soul or, or to all of the, uh, the money that, that, that we have in our kingdom or uh, to myself or to my army or to the accomplishments that I've made. He says, no, to you, O God, I lift up my soul. You get the idea. He's tried everywhere else. I mean, he, he's probably tried to, to, to do all different kinds of things to find help and to find strength and to find solace for his problems. I'm sure he depended on his own military might as well as that of his country. He says, not now, God. He stops in the midst of all of that and bears the inner parts, the most intimate parts of his soul to God. To you, O Lord. I lift up my soul. Do not let me be put to shame. Oh God, you, you are my God and I, I just lift this up to you. And, and you get the idea of, of what's going on in his life. I love this uh, passage of scripture um, that uh, is, it comes in 1 Peter 5, 7. Uh, Peter is writing to a troubled church. And uh, this is one of those that's quoted all the time if someone is sick or if there's a crisis that's going on. Peter is writing to a persecuted church in what would really today be considered modern-day Turkey. and Cappadocia, Bithynia, and, and that whole area. He's writing to them. They are being persecuted because of their Christian faith. I mean, killed. And so they're trying to live out their faith and they need a bit of encouragement. Peter writes to them and he says... Cast all of your anxiety on Him, on God, because He cares for you. I love that, that imagery of casting. Uh, just being able to, to cast it on out there, to, to throw it off. Or, as we've looked at in the Hebrew here today, to, to lift it up. To consecrate it up or, or to bear it and, and to say, here it is, it's all open before you, God. Here is my soul. I can't carry it any longer. Back when we were, um, we would uh, take the kids out on a walk. We uh, we lived in a neighborhood where there was a, a lake, and you could it had sidewalks around the lake. And we would go out for a walk in, in the afternoon or in you know in the evening after supper. And uh, Jack and Maggie Lee, you know, they'd have their uh, little wagon. Or um, Maggie Lee always wanted to carry something with her. I mean, it was uh, either the uh, the little jumpy thing. What do you call it, Jenny? The uh, bounce a lot or uh, hippity hop. Hippity hop, you know, try to go on a walk with a hippity hop. And you try to, you know, or she'd bring a scooter with her, or she'd bring, you know, something real. I think one time a guitar, maybe that was Jack, but tried to carry all this stuff. And we've got dogs and, 
and we've got everything, and we're trying to walk, and, you know, their legs are just that long. And you, you, before you left, you know, you'd, you'd say, especially to Maggie Lee, Maggie Lee was strong-willed, like her mother, and, uh, and she would insist on carrying this thing along with her. And we'd say, Jenny would say, uh, you know, you can't bring that because you're not going to be able to carry it, though. You're going to, we're going to get halfway there, and you're going to, uh, you know, start crying, or you're not going to want to carry it any longer. No, Mommy, you know, I'm going to do it. I'll take it. I'll, I'll do it. And you know what happens. You get halfway there, and, uh, you know, there's that stubbornness, like, are you sure you don't want me to carry it? No, no, I'm not going. I'm going to keep going, and you just realize it's not going to work out. And you end up carrying that burden that, uh, that she was, was carrying with her. I think the same thing is true with us spiritually. I think we try to carry our souls and God looks at us and says, you know, you really can't do that. I know you and I know what your capacity is and you can't carry that. You need to give it to me. And we pull back and we say, no, 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 I'm going to do this. And we get to that point where we just stop in the midst of our problems and our difficulties and we say, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. How does that happen for you? Well, it, it happens. It should happen. It be, should begin by happening with you stopping in the midst of your challenges and your problems right now. As you're dragging your burdens and your problems along, and they get heavy, don't they? To stop. And say to God, to you, O oh God, I lift up this problem this challenge, this enemy, to you I lift up my soul. How do we do that though? What does it look like? Well, it looks like worship. We did that in, in worship here. We sang, what a friend we have in Jesus. That's, that's comfort food, hym, hymnology right there, isn't it? What a friend we have in Jesus. That, that's gotten a lot of people through a lot of scrapes. I hope you'll remember it as you go throughout the week. What a friend we have in Jesus. And we do this as we worship together. We sing songs and it is to open our souls up before God to say, God, I'm lifting up my soul to you. But it happens when we're alone too. And if your life is so busy with anxiety and the problems and the noise and all the stuff around you, and you're not taking some, some personal time to just sit still and do some dialoguing with God, then the problems are just going to continue and you're going to continue hanging on to those problems. But it also happens with each other. I am constantly reminded about how much we need each other in lifting up our souls. Don't we? Don't you need the other people in this room? I look at my wife. I need my wife. My wife has blessed me incredibly. She takes such good care of me. And in this last couple of weeks, I, I could not have made it without her and without her constant encouragement and just uh, taking care of a big old baby like me. <laughs> But she, she's the encouragement in our family. And I know that you need encouragement from the people around you. And, and we, we lift up our souls together. That's part of what it means to come together as a church. That we be real and transparent and honest enough to recognize when we need it to help boost each other's souls up. We need that. We need each other. So it's lifting up your soul, but it's also in asking for help. Have you ever uh, tried to help somebody and uh, they say... Uh, I got this. Nope, nope, I got this. Nope, I got this. And you know they don't. And you can see that they don't. We do that all the time. We don't want to ask for help. People always beat up on men, you know, they don't want to stop for directions. Uh, I take offense at that. Um, 
Everybody needs directions, don't they? We, ask, we need to ask for help. Uh, the, the great Eastern uh, wisdom uh, reminds us that when the student is ready, the master appears, right? When the student is ready, the master appears. When, when we get to that point of realizing, okay, I cannot do this, I've tried to do it myself, I've tried to fix this, I've tried to deal with this on my own, it is so overwhelming that I cannot do it. God, I need to ask for help. That's what David did. Uh, David asked for help. If you look back here at, the, at these words, he says, Oh my God, and you I trust, do not let me be put to shame. Do not, don't let my enemies exult over me. That's a good prayer to pray, by the way. Uh, do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways. So he's asking for God's ways. He, he's saying, God, show me your truth. I've, I've asked for help with my enemies. Now I'm asking for your truth and for you to teach me. He's got a, a teachable spirit. And he says, God, forgive me of my sins in the midst of this problem. And we don't know if this is pre or post his big uh, uh, problem with Bathsheba and his adultery and everything that was taking place and the murder that uh, he called for, uh, for Uriah's life. We don't, we're not exactly sure about the dating of it, but he had enough problems where there was this time of introspection. God, don't remember the sins of my youth. Clean, cleanse me of my sin and... Uh, then he asks, he gives submission to God. Lead me in the right path. I love this. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. We've used that Thomas Merton prayer so many times. You know, God, I have no idea where I'm going, but I believe in, in, in you. You're, you're with me, uh, leading me the whole way. And this is such a, a, a perfect phrase here. Show me the right path, O Lord. He's asking for help, and he's looking for it. Uh, not too long ago, uh, someone asked Philip Yancey, uh, this was during one of the most volatile periods of, of the first part of, of, of the recession, uh, that week in which global stock markets declined $7 trillion. Philip Yancey received a call from the editor at Time Magazine, and the editor's question was simple. How should a person pray during a crisis like this? Here's a summary of, of what Yancey um, said, and again, this, this comes from Christianity Today. He says, the first stage is simple. An instinctive cry. Help! For someone who faces a job cut or health crisis or watches retirement savings wither away, prayer offers a way to voice fear and anxiety. I have learned to resist the tendency to edit my prayers so that they sound sophisticated and mature. I believe God wants us to come exactly as we are, no matter how childlike we may feel. A God aware of every sparrow that falls surely knows the impact of scary financial times on frail human beings. Just one phrase, really. Help. God, help. And we need to do that as well in difficult times. Praying about our problems. There's something therapeutic about listing them out or enumerating them before God. God, this is what's going on. These, these are my enemies or these are my problems or these are my bills or these are the challenges of my life. And here they are, God. I'm asking with petition for your help. And maybe all I can say is help. But it's also asking for truth. God, give me the wisdom to know which way to go. I have no idea how to make this decision. I don't know what to do with my child. I don't, I don't know what to do with my health. Uh, this is something that uh, is, is beyond me, God. I need you to teach me what to do. There's also the time of, of confession. Looking inward to, uh, to say, well, God, at this time, I do want to make a short account with you. I, I want to 
if there's something within me, oh God, if, there, if there's a, a, a wicked way or something that I have not dealt with, would you show me that, God? I, I don't want you to, uh, to hold any of my sins against me. But it's also in submitting to God's leadership that no matter what happens, you have submitted for Him to lead you in the midst of all of this. It's giving God consent to be at work in your life. Well, the final little piece of this is uh, what, what I, I thought would be trusting OMG. Everybody likes that phrase, OMG. I guess that, that's an old phrase, right? Oh my God, you see that in text or in Twitter. Uh, well, it's something that David tweeted right here. I mean, sure, it, it's right here. If you look in verse 2, he says, Oh my God, I trust you. In you I trust. This is the original OMG. He says, God, oh my God, you are my God. And there is this idea that, you know, in this particular time, you've got the transcendent God who really doesn't get involved in the details of humankind. But here he is saying, no, you are my God. There is, there is uh, implicit in this, this relationship that David has. It's an intimate relationship that David has with God. You are my shepherd, as he would say in the 23rd Psalm. I lack for nothing. And so I'm, I'm referring to you, oh my God. And then he says that I will wait on you all day long. Lead me in your truth. You're the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. There is this confidence that has continued to, to be expressed here. And then he, he talks about the love of God. He says he leads, um, he says, Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. And the Hebrew translation there is really... Uh, uh, do not forget me, and then there's like a you on the end of that. Do not forget me, you. He, he's emphasizing again, God, I want your attention here. Don't forget me. I am trusting in you. I'm putting my absolute confidence in you. In difficult times, keep trusting in your God. And recognize that He is indeed your God. He has demonstrated Himself to you as your God. And I think that comes uh, most specifically from doing what David did all throughout his life. It was developing a relationship with God. He already had this foundation that was there that he could fall back on when he really messed up and really blew it. Or when things out of his control came against him, he could fall back on this developed relationship that he had with God. And he kept, he kept to that and he kept looking to that. But I would also say uh, waiting all day long. Now this waiting is not a passive kind of waiting, but it's recognizing in the, in the midst of the problems and the challenges of your life that God is going to do something, that God is active and He is at work. And I can tell you from my own life, there are times when you just can't even see it. It's difficult to see at all uh, how God could be at work in any particular situation. But I can also testify to the faithfulness of God working in ways beyond I could even begin to imagine it is waiting actively on God. But it is also entrusting in His steadfast love for you. Do you really believe that this morning? That he, he loves you with steadfast and faithful love? There are things that may be happening to you right now that make you question that. Because you may not be receiving any love from anybody around you. It may be conditional love. And you feel left, let down and left out and... and uh, you're not feeling loved today. But God wants you to know that you are. He wants you to know that He has made you, He has made you in His own image and built you for a 
a relationship with him. There was a, a guy uh, who was telling a story. Um, this comes from Keith Hartzell uh, in an article I read uh, where he was uh, talking about uh, this guy's phone that he noticed it was going off. He says, I was with a friend a few years ago in California, and as we were driving around the busy streets of L.A., I noticed that his cell phone was locked with an unusual password. And you all probably do that with your phones. If you don't want anybody picking up your phone and using it, you've got a password on it. And on his, it kept flashing, Pro Nobis. Pro-nobis, P-R-O-N-O-B-I-S. I asked him what pro-nobis meant and why he chose that for a password. He told me it was Latin and it meant for us. And then he suddenly started choking up. I thought, why would those two Latin words cause such emotion in this guy? Well, he composed himself and then he explained that after walking through deep personal pain, true healing came when he learned that God is for us. Or the Latin phrase is pro-nobis. My friend said that after his parents' divorce and all kinds of other problems in his life, a season when he assumed that God didn't care or that God had given up on him, he finally found hope through those two simple words. And when he decided to believe that God was pro-nobis, that God even sent Christ to die for him, he could then decide to live his life and even lay it down for others. Pro-nobis. That's what King David is saying to us today. It's what God wants you to hear this morning. God is for you. And He has even written it down for you to be able to look at and to see every moment of every day. He's even written it in the most clearest fashion in His Son, Jesus Christ. Will you know as you go into this next week, or as you go through difficult times, that God is for you? Let's pray. God, we do give you thanks for being there for us.